a Pantry Studio production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. At the time that we sat down to write this story, the name Gabby Petito led to 36,200,000 search results. This number will continue to increase as long as the news stories are coming out and some of these aren't even an hour old. Gabrielle Venora Petito was born March 19, 1999. Died sometime around August 30th, 2021. She was an American woman that disappeared between August 27th and August 30th, 2021. While she was on a van life trip across the United States with her fiancé, Brian Christopher Laundrie. Well, the case gained all kinds of notoriety when Laundrie returned to Florida and Petito did not. That was on September 1st in their white 2012 Ford Transit Connect van and he refused to talk about Petito's whereabouts. It wasn't long after that, about 18 days later, that her remains were found in Wyoming. A preliminary autopsy determined that her cause of death was a homicide. The disappearance of Petito quickly gained all kinds of attention because of the amount of audio and video documentation and logistical information around the couple's travels, including police body camera footage of a domestic dispute between the two that led to a 911 emergency dispatch call. Well, they released those recordings too, plus eyewitness accounts and all kinds of social media posts. After being designated as a person of interest in the case, his parents said that Laundrie went hiking in a nearby national preserve on September 14th, and nobody's seen or heard from him since. On the 22nd of September of this year, the FBI issued a warrant for Laundrie's arrest on charges of debit card fraud after he made withdrawals using someone else's card. Our hearts go out to the family of Gabby. And we are saddened by the loss of any life. We hope and pray that justice can and will be served. This case leaves little to mystery, though. Everyone in the U.S. must have heard the names and the stories by now. But what about those that they haven't heard the names and stories? These are the Mountain Mysteries. And this is episode number 32. Even the devil smiles. I will be the last to fall. I won't shed a tear for them to see. There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. Reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. There are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Sloan.
Oh, it's those hot summer days. Life near a desert can be even more difficult and challenging than anywhere else in the world. The sand scorching beneath your feet. An unrelentless sun that beats down no matter what anyone wants or thinks. Life can be difficult to say the least. But what's even more difficult is suffering through the loss of a loved one's life. Nicole Wagon, an indigenous mother and activist who is a northern Arapaho, also understands the heartbreak and loss of life. Wagon's daughter Jocelyn was found murdered in 2019, and about a year later she reported another one of her daughters, Jade, missing also. It was only a few weeks later that Jade was found dead. Now, one of her daughters, Jocelyn Watt, who Wagon described as a wonderful singer with a beautiful heart. Well, Jocelyn and her partner, Rudy Perez, were both 30 and found dead from gunshot wounds in their home in Riverton, Wyoming. It was on January 5th, 2019. The double homicide still remains unsolved to this day. She would sing at funerals and often the song dancing in the sky to honor those in their community who had passed on, even though it took an incredible emotional toll on her. Wagon said that for her, it was a blessing of, wow, look at how many lives my daughter touched in such a short period of time. She also said that Jocelyn made everyone feel valued. It's lives like these that one can never really get over. Remember that pebble in a pond we talked about on the Mountain Mysteries gatherings? Well, Jocelyn wasn't just a pebble in a pond. She was a boulder in a small pond. It was only a year later that Wagon filed a missing persons report for her younger daughter, Jade, who was just 23. That happened when she didn't return home on the Wind River Reservation. Only a few weeks later, the body of her daughter, who was now an outdoorsy type and would always make her laugh, well, she was found discarded in a field. Jade was beautiful and a free spirit, according to her family, who loved the outdoors. She was respectful to her elders and deeply loved by grandparents, sisters, children, friends, family, everyone that you could imagine. You could hear her giggle out of the crowd. It stood out. It was unique and proud. Although law enforcement claimed that she died from hypothermia and drugs, Nicole Wagon says that she has no doubt her daughter, well, she was murdered, plain and simple. Nicole can't help but wonder how the same attention might have affected her daughter's cases. The same attention that so many other people get. Nicole Wagon, who is still waiting for answers to her daughter's deaths, said in recent days her family has suddenly been flooded by requests from the news media. She said maybe it's a blessing that the Petito case happened there in Wyoming because all of that attention, well, it's now starting to shed light to the state of Wyoming. But why would it take the Petito case for this case, the case of Jade, and the case of Jocelyn to have light shine on it? Well, you know what they say. Any attention is better than no attention, and anywhere that you can get it, take it. But it still doesn't seem right, does it? At least 710 indigenous people, mostly girls, went missing in Wyoming between 2011 and 2020, according to a January report. 
published by the state's Missing and Murdered Indigenous People Task Force. Oh, well, here's where it gets a little hinky. The vast majority, 85% were kids, while 57% were female. Well, maybe that's not enough to get you riled up. So, the report also found 50% of missing indigenous people were found within one week. That's good news. 21% missing, 30 days or longer. Well, that's not so good. Only 11% of white people remain missing for that long, according to the report. The report also looked at media coverage, finding that only 30% of indigenous homicide victims make the news, compared to 51% of white victims. When the murders of indigenous people were covered, the news reports were overly graphic compared to those of white people. Wyoming survey and analysis research scientist Emily Grant, who worked on the report, told that to WPR News. So, to clarify... Overly graphic reports on indigenous people to the point that many people did not want to hear this. They didn't want any part of listening to it. But the white people? Well, that wasn't nearly as bad. It wasn't nearly as graphic. When we looked into this topic, Native American activists spoke of a woman named Amanda Davis. Amanda was with her boyfriend when the U.S. attorneys say that they had a domestic violence incident. With three children in the home and Amanda being pregnant with Michael Bersiaga, her boyfriend's unborn son, she was stabbed to death by Michael. Well, if that's not enough to get you going, then how about this? The news article had this to say in bold, dark text. Warning, details in this story may be graphic and offensive to some audiences. Well, the same thing cannot be found in most similar news articles. According to the National Crime Information Center, or NCIC, which is associated with the FBI, almost 10,000 missing persons in 2020 were indigenous peoples. Of those missing, over 55% were female and 43% were 17 years old or younger. But the National Missing and Unidentified Persons Systems, or NAMIS, associated with the Department of Justice, only lists... 734 missing indigenous persons out of 10,000 they only listed 734 their latest data set lists 31% of those missing as female well it's actually closer to the 55% we told you about a few moments ago it is a striking discrepancy in the federal data but it's not unknown to advocates in 2008, the Justice Department reported that Native American women on some tribal lands were murdered at more than 10 times the national average, and yet, too often their cases are simply overlooked or even outright ignored. Carolyn DeFord, founder of Missing and Murdered Native Americans, a national advocacy and outreach organization, said that there's not even a missing poster for some of these women who are Native American, let alone any media coverage. It's like they were swept away by the sands in the desert, left to be forgotten altogether. Where is the attention for Ruthie Fawn Kindness? Rosalita Longhi, where's her attention? She was a beautiful, young Native woman. Where's the FBI searches and the camera crews? Where in the hell are the search dog squads to find her? Those are all questions that Carolyn asked. Oh, they're good ones, no doubt. 
DeForest said she'd love to see a consistency in investigations and resources put out there for families and for all human beings, for all people. But at a bare minimum, she said every family of a missing person should at least get a poster. Their police report and a list of resources to help them? Well, such as advocacy organizations, national missing databases, and even news media to contact. Well, it seems like they don't have that. Why? The FBI has announced a reward for information on Mary Johnson. She was a Native American woman who went missing from the Tulalip Reservation in Washington State. Well, that was back in December of 2020. Agencies offering a $10,000 reward for information leading to the identification, arrest, and conviction of whoever is responsible for her disappearance. At least that's according to a Twitter post that was issued just a few weeks ago. Mary Johnson, who's 40 years old, also known as Mary Johnson Davis. Well, she was reported missing on December 9, 2020, according to the FBI's Most Wanted website. Well, she was last seen on November 25, 2020, as she walked on Fire Trail Road on the Tulalip Indian Reservation in Marysville, Washington, on her way to a friend's house. She never got there. At least according to the FBI. Her disappearance is being investigated by the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Seattle Field Office and the Tulalip Tribal Police. Well, their resources are limited, as you can imagine. Johnson's five foot six, weighs about 115 pounds, with black hair, brown eyes, and a sunburst-type tattoo on her upper right arm. That comes from the FBI. She also has a scar across her nose and a birthmark on the back of her neck, according to Tulalip News Channel, Tulalip TV. Following the disappearance, Johnson's family put up a billboard on Interstate 5 near the reservation, asking, no, begging anyone with information to contact the Tulalip Tribal Police, according to CNN affiliate KING-TV. Then there's Terry DeShene's daughter, Kiana Klump. Well, she's been missing for a year and a half now, and she's not seen a single article written about her. The 17-year-old, who she said loved to skateboard and go shopping, had run away from home in Post Falls, Idaho. She had been staying with friends, but ended up at a home with a man that DeShene described as a sexual predator, and later, well, she just simply disappeared. DeShene, a member of the Tingalit tribe, said for months that she put up flyers all over the area and posted on social media, but she tried to get her daughter's disappearance to a broader audience. She consistently came up short. She said all she's got in her pocket is Facebook and just social media. That's all she's got. Didn't get any help from any other place. She begged. She said that she felt left out and unimportant. Monica L. Bercier-Wicker vanished on April 7, 1993. That many years ago. She had been out with friends at a bar called The Body Shop in Aberdeen, South Dakota, where she lived. Monica was born and raised in Bellacourt, North Dakota, on the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Reservation. That night, she had caught a ride with a couple that she knew and a man that she did not know. That was the last time she was seen alive. It was June 16, 1993, that her badly decomposed body was found by a passerby in a canoe on the James River just outside of Aberdeen. To this day, her killer's never been caught. The family's offering a $10,000 reward to anyone who comes forward with information that leads to the arrest and conviction of Monica's killer. 
The family continues to bring awareness that Monica's case with the Justice for Monica Facebook page in the hope that someone will come forward with information that may help solve it. Monica's case is one of just many mentioned in Savannah's Act, or the MMIW Act, which reforms law enforcement and justice protocols appropriate to addressing missing and murdered Native women. An initial version of the bill passed the U.S. Senate on December 6, 2018. The bill was named after Fargo, North Dakota resident Savannah LaFontaine Greywind, who was murdered in August of 2017 and is just one name that represents the horrific statistics regarding abuse and homicide of indigenous women. Where the hell is the media in all of this? Where are people at? People that can make a difference. Monica's daughter, Tanya Hertel, told Dateline that she often wonders why stories of Native women are not given the attention they deserve and said she hopes by sharing her mother's story and continuing to fight for justice, it will give others hope to be a voice for the voiceless. She said for so long she's felt like she did not have a voice. But today, she feels like she has one. And she feels like a voice has finally been given to her mother. Ella Mae Begay, a Navajo Nation elder and master weaver missing since June. She said she found less than five stories on YouTube. When Ella Mae Begay went missing from her home in Sweetwater, Arizona on June 15th, Search teams were dispatched across northern Arizona and into San Juan County, Utah, in some kind of an attempt to locate the 62-year-old lady. But as the investigation is dragged on, and as the authorities look for signs of foul play, an important aspect of Bagay's life has been overlooked, her status as a master rug weaver. The Sweetwater community knew Bagay as an accomplished pictorial rug weaver a type of an art form in Diné culture, the Navajo culture, in addition to being a caregiver, a loving elder, and a matriarch. Seraphine Warren said that her rugs really speak of who she was. She recently walked more than 150 miles from her aunt's home in Sweetwater to the Navajo Nation capital of Window Rock, Arizona, to bring awareness to her aunt and other missing and murdered indigenous people. Missing and murdered indigenous is a public health crisis. In Utah, an indigenous person is four times more likely to be a victim of homicide than a white person. And indigenous people are also overrepresented in active cases of missing reports in Utah, with 14% being native women and 16% being native males. According to the nonprofit Restoring Ancestral Winds, or RAW as it's known, which has a mission to end violence in Utah's eight tribal nations. From Warren's perspective, the law enforcement agencies are not doing enough to help find your aunt. They're trying to understand why this is happening and nobody is taking this seriously. There's no compassion or sympathy, it would seem, she said. Many Native groups feel as if they've been forced to highlight their cases through social media campaigns, marches, and protests, such as the annual Missing and Murdered Indigenous Peoples March. A lot of people have said that they feel like that's the only option that they've got to be heard. Why? Oh, we've got our opinions on that. Well, living and working in Canada as a counselor, Nancy Smith, NHBP Tribal Council Secretary, says that she's just started to hear about incidences of Native women and girls who seemingly disappeared without a trace. Well, she tied that back to a system that was set up to fail to start with. 
Smith was working for a church-based organization that provided after-school tutoring and other programs for kids and tribes living in close proximity. She said that they were impacted by a residential school system, as they've been there in the United States, but in Canada, it was more aggressive, where officials came into communities and under their police law, they would just take the kids and force them to go to school and learn the dominant language. Well, they were living in the dominant culture and being forced to speak English. Almost seems like they were trying to wipe out these children's culture. While living in those residential school settings, Native children endured physical and emotional abuse, and some even died at the hands of those who forcibly removed them from their families and were charged with taking care of them. In May, reports began to circulate about the discovery of a mass grave containing the remains of more than 700 children on the grounds of a former residential school in Camp Loops, British Columbia. There were all types of abuses on these children. They were isolated and it was traumatizing. These kids were being forced to abandon their culture and take on another culture, told to forget about everything that they knew about who they were, where they'd come from, their ancestors. Closer to home, researchers with the Saginaw Chippewa Indian Tribe of Michigan publicly announced that in July they had uncovered records confirming the deaths of 227 Native children who had attended the Mount Pleasant Indian Industrial Boarding School operated in Mount Pleasant between its opening in 1893 and closure in 1934. The federal government documented only five deaths during that same time period. Well, what about the other 222? Smith said that some of the children attending residential schools ran away either to the nearest big city or back to their reservations. But when they went back to their reservations, they realized they couldn't speak their native language anymore. To be a native woman or girl in the big city was to be exploited. She said that when she lived in Canada, she actually met women who had come into the city to go to a county fair where they would meet a pimp who wined them and dined them. Well, they got to ride all the rides and eat whatever they wanted in return for sexual favors. And then... Oh, well, they'd be taken to other provinces. And then it was human trafficking. A lot of those women were subjected to domestic violence, eventually overdosing or being murdered, never to be heard from or seen again, leaving grieving family members without any knowledge of what happened to them. Where were they? What had become of them? Why wasn't anyone covering this? Why wasn't no one talking to them? For these families, there will never be anything remotely resembling closure. Smith said for the women and girls and younger males who fled to bigger cities, it was a matter of survival and the only thing that they've ever known. The sense of hopelessness is exasperated by low self-esteem and self-worth, both of which have their roots in the displacement of native people from their land by the federal government back in the 1800s. The atrocities they endured as a people resulted in historical trauma that's been passed down from one generation to the next, and it's manifested itself in high rates of alcoholism and substance abuse, health issues like diabetes and heart disease, and of course, mental health issues 
Smith said that she thinks the general population tends to romanticize tribes, and they really do have some awesome parts of the culture that have been revived. She said that they're finding their voice and moving forward, and that they revived and are going back to those things that they innately know with hunting and crafts and making regalia and the powwows. But she also said that she tends to think that people have forgotten that they're there and that the atrocities that these people have and continue to endure. Well, she believes that many people think, well, that was a long time ago, but they don't understand that that trauma that occurred with the generations that came before this one, that trauma is still there. And instead of easing, it seems to grow. Tribes have coined a phrase for this. It's called blood trauma. And Cook says that there is evidence that this trauma is passed from the mother's brainstem to the child. This is a complex, difficult issue that spans hundreds of years. The isolation to reservations, the dehumanization, the marginalization outside the legal systems, and the deeply embedded racism Native people have been forced to endure. There is no easy answer for fixing the numerous problems. That answer may be a mystery. It may be a mystery that is never solved, but we can lift up the voices and make the names known. The names like Jocelyn Watt, Jade Wagon, Ruthie Fawn Kindness, Rosalita Longi, Mary Johnson Davis, Kiana Klomp, Monica L. Bercier Wicker, Ella Mae Begay, and there are so many more. Visit the home of the Mountain Mysteries at themountainmysteriespodcast.com. Join us on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube every Thursday night at 8 o'clock for the Mountain Mysteries gatherings. And please support us on Patreon and get access to the blurs. And don't forget, for the month of October, every Thursday, we release a brand new episode of the Mountain Mysteries Chills. It's only for the month of October and exclusively from the Mountain Mysteries. I'm Chris Sloan for the Mountain Mysteries. Stay mysterious. If you enjoy the Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support the Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Production.